If I have to get little digs every now and then, because they make fun of me for being so young. Sometimes Pastor Jerry and Pastor Darth will have a reference of, I don't know, some super old guy that wrote the Psalms or something way back in the day. And, uh, and I don't know what they're talking about because uh, I'm so young. So I got to throw it back at them every now and then. Well, good morning. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Pastor Allen. Uh, I am the family pastor here at Wenatchee First Assembly. My wife, Taryn, and I lead our team, our family ministries team. Um, some oversee our, our nursery or our elementary or our high schoolers or even our young adult events. And so uh, we just love uh, having a, 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 a place to call home where we can engage with families. And if you have a family today and we haven't met, I'd love to meet you, um, get a chance to know you and your family and partner with you. Uh, on how we can uh, impact the next generation. I never get tired of seeing the next generation have an encounter with Jesus. And uh, this weekend, we had the opportunity to do that. We went to Winterfest, so our middle school and high schoolers, uh, we loaded up a van and and we drove them to Issaquah, Washington, uh, had a wonderful conference there. And again, I just never get tired of seeing our youth encounter Jesus. And uh, it was a wonderful time. I told Pastor Jerry this morning, I only threatened to drive the van off the road once. Um, After about an hour of Disney songs that middle school girls were singing in my ear, I thought, you know, there's a pretty sharp left turn coming up. And what if I just didn't turn? You know, I could just go right, you know, and then I wouldn't have to listen to, you know, the, the screaming and the laughing. But anyways, I went through it and I'm glad I did because our students encountered Jesus in a powerful way, which is amazing. And uh, maybe you can remember a time when you encountered Jesus in a very powerful way. Uh, and, and it's great. And I love seeing our students encounter Jesus in a powerful way. Uh, but the miracle doesn't come when they encounter Jesus uh, whether it's through a good worship song or because their friends are encountering Jesus or whatever, those are all great. But the miracle comes when they get to go home or when they get to not be in the presence of a church anymore and they get to be in their bedroom all alone and they have decisions to make or they go back to school and they decide, uh, you know, they have influences from friends. It's there that we hope that Jesus continues to work on their heart, right? And maybe you've been in that situation where you've been here, whether it's at church or whether it was this morning when we opened the altars and, and you experienced Jesus, you experienced the Holy Spirit, spirit in a great way. And that's wonderful, but it, it's, it's worthless if we don't take it home with us. Amen. And, uh, and so today I want us to talk about the valley and how sometimes it's, it's easy to follow Jesus when you're on the mountaintop, when things are going great, when you have a powerful experience with the Lord. Uh, but what do we do when we're in the valleys in life? What do we do when we're in the darkness, right? And, uh, and what are we going to, uh, how are we going to react? And so today I want us to read a little bit about the story of a man named Joseph and a little bit uh, about a man named David. And uh, these are popular stories in the Bible. I love the story of Joseph. And um, we're going to kind of give an overview of it. The last time I preached on Joseph, I went about 30 minutes past the time that I was supposed to go. Because it's a long story. And so we're not going to have the chance to, to read every bit of it. But I want us to start by opening in Genesis chapter 37. And uh, we're going to start learning a little bit about Joseph. All right. If you don't have your Bible with you, the the verses will be on the screen. Genesis chapter 37, we're going to start verses 1 through 4, or 1 through 8. It says this, it says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. 
and he had an ornate robe made for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of the others, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to, the, uh, listen to this dream that I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, and your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. So that is the introduction to Joseph here. And, and Joseph is loved by his father, Jacob. Uh, Jacob also goes by the name Israel. That's a name that, that God had given him uh, prior to this. And so Jacob has many sons. Joseph is by far his favorite. Uh, anybody willing to admit that you have a favorite child in the room today? There we go. Okay. All right. Um, you know, nobody wants to admit that they have a favorite child. Sometimes you, oh, just one. Okay. Very easy. That's very easy. All right. I, I gave you an out there. Okay. If you don't have a favorite child, what you don't want is for your other, the siblings to, to know that maybe there is a favorite child, right? You don't ever want siblings to be battling for their parents' love, right? But that is obviously what's going on here. Joseph is, is by far loved more uh, from his father uh, than any of his other brothers, and his brothers hate him because of that. Now, if I was friends with Joseph and he had a dream uh, and he was going to tell it to his brothers that already hated him about how he was going to rule over them, I'd probably tell Joseph like, hey, your brothers already hate you. You probably don't want to share this with them. They might hate you even more. Um, but I wasn't there and uh, I wasn't able to give Joseph that advice. So he decided to tell uh, his brothers about this situation, this weird dream that he had. And, and what it communicated to the brothers is Joseph was saying, hey, I'm going to rule over you guys someday. And the brothers that already hated Joseph, he had an ornate robe that his dad made for him. None of the other brothers had that, right? They said, man, not only does our dad love you, but, but you're going to try and rule over us. You're going to try and just show us that you're better than us. And they hated him all the more because of it. We're going to jump down into verse 18. Uh, still in chapter 37, we're going to read a little bit more. It comes to a time where uh, the brothers are out in their father's field. And a lot of times uh, back in these days, you know, there would be a lot of land to cover. And so it's not like the field that you owned was right next to your house. And so Joseph had to be sent out to go meet his brothers out in the fields, right? So in verse 18, we, we uh, see this, Joseph is coming close to his brothers. And it says, but they saw him in the distance. And before Joseph reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Great brothers, right? When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this because he had hoped to come back later and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty and there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? 
Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. Great brothers, right? Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him to those guys that are going wherever they're going. We'll get rid of him. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. So not a good start to Joseph's story, right? He is... uh, at first, doing great. He's the most loved by his dad. His dad makes a nice, colorful robe for him. And, uh, but that goes south pretty quick. And his brothers decide that they are not going to kill him, thankfully, but they're going to sell him uh, to, uh, to some traders that will eventually go and uh, sell Joseph as a slave in Egypt. And uh, the brothers, they decided to dip Joseph's robe in blood, and they, they brought it back to their dad and, and kind of said, you know, he must have been eaten by a wild animal. And so, and so the father is, is devastated. His favorite son was just killed by a wild animal and uh, isn't quite sure what to do. But Joseph is now a slave in Egypt. And so Joseph is a slave in Egypt, and he becomes the slave of a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar is an official uh, for the Pharaoh, who is the king of Egypt. And uh, he is a slave. And I have to stop here and think that Joseph is in a point in his life where I would probably call it a valley, okay? As being a slave, that's not a, that's not a mountaintop experience, okay? And sometimes when we go into valleys and when we have difficulties in life, we decide to, you know, I've been guilty of this before. I kind of question God. I say, God, why'd you do this? I'm like, what's, what's the deal here? What's going on? And we can allow the difficulty to create distance between us and God. But Joseph doesn't do that, okay? Joseph decides that he's going to continue to follow the Lord. He's going to continue to, to, to lean in to God. And even though it's difficult, God still blesses him through the situation. That he ends up taking uh, a, a Potiphar, his, his master, ends up taking a liking to Joseph. And Joseph's able to be blessed through being a slave there. He ends up being put in charge of Potiphar's household. And uh, we see that even in this valley, God is, is blessing Joseph. One problem, not only does Potiphar like Joseph, but Potiphar's wife also really likes Joseph, okay? And if you know the story, Potiphar's wife tries to convince Joseph to sleep with her. Joseph won't do it. He, he's still committed to, to uh, being moral, and, and he doesn't want to do that. And so one day, uh, Potiphar's wife calls him into the house and says, hey, you know, Potiphar's out and about. You know, he's not going to know. Let's, let's, uh, let's sleep together. And he says no. And so he runs out, and he leaves behind his robe. Now, if I was Joseph, I would probably just stop wearing robes at this point because his ornate robe got him in trouble with his brothers, and this robe is going to get him in trouble with Potiphar because Potiphar's wife keeps his robe and says to Potiphar, hey, your slave tried to sleep with me. And obviously, Potiphar's going to believe his wife over his slave. And so uh, Joseph's in a bit of trouble, and he gets thrown into prison. So Joseph has gone from a valley to a deeper valley. And Joseph's life is not very good right now, okay? We don't have time to, to read all the specifics, but while Joseph's in prison, God continues to bless him. Joseph doesn't allow this to be a situation that separates him and God. God continues to bless him. Joseph continues to follow God, follow the Lord. And uh, there's two prisoners that are with Joseph in prison. Uh, One is the chief baker from the Pharaoh's court, and one is the cupbearer from the Pharaoh's court. And so they end end up in prison. They end up having some weird dreams, some wild dreams that they don't understand what the meaning is. And so they're talking to Joseph about these dreams. And Joseph says, well, I can't interpret these dreams, but God can. 
So Joseph says, here is what God is, is trying to tell you. And, and he tells the, the baker, he says, hey, the meaning of your dream, unfortunately, is that you're going to be executed. And uh, not a cool, you know, solution. But anyways, he tells the cupbearer, he says, now the meaning of your dream is you're going to be installed back into your position. You're going to be, you know, back with Pharaoh and, and it's all going to be good. And, and that's what happens. Uh, God tells the correct interpretation to Joseph. And uh, Joseph, when telling the cupbearer, that he was going to be installed back into his original position. He said, hey, cupbearer, uh, just don't forget about me. When, when you go to Pharaoh and, and you're put back in there, remember me. Like, I've done nothing, and I'm, I'm here as, as a prisoner. Well, the cupbearer ends up being installed back into his position, and he forgets about Joseph. And so Joseph is still a prisoner. He's really never done anything to deserve the difficult valley that he's been in. But the cupbearer is back, and the cupbearer is with Pharaoh. Now, there comes a day where Pharaoh himself has a weird dream. I don't know what they're eating in Egypt, but it's creating a lot of weird dreams to be going around, okay? So Pharaoh has this crazy dream. I encourage you to go back and read it if you haven't yet. But uh, it's this dream about these, these weird cows that are eating each other, and it's odd, okay? And so Pharaoh wakes up, as I would after having a dream like that, and was very distraught doesn't know what the meaning is, and he's trying to discover who can interpret my dream. And that is when the cupbearer remembers Joseph. He says, hey, Pharaoh, I remember this guy, Joseph. He said that the baker was going to get executed, that I was going to be brought back here. That ended up happening. Why don't you ask this guy? So Pharaoh sends for Joseph. Joseph ends up being brought into Pharaoh's court, and Pharaoh says, Joseph, I need you to interpret my dream. And Joseph says, oh, I can't interpret your dream, but God can. The God that I follow can interpret your dream. I'll tell you the meaning. So he tells him uh, the, the dream. And Joseph says, here is what God wants you to know, Pharaoh. Egypt is going to experience a huge famine. There's going to be a famine in the land and it's going to cost lives. It's going to be devastating for not only Egypt, but for the entire surrounding area. And what God wants you to know is that you need to appoint somebody to store food away. Because there's going to be great years of plenty. And we need to store this food away to prepare for the famine that's going to come, right? And so Pharaoh uh, says, man, this guy is, is wise. Your, your, your God is powerful. Your God is strong. And he says, how about this, Joseph? Why don't I appoint you as that guy to be second in command? There's going to be nobody in Egypt more powerful than you except for me. And, and you are going to be in charge of making sure that we are ready for this famine. So that's what happens. In a day, Pharaoh goes from being a slave to being second in command of one of the most powerful nations in the world at this time, which is amazing to me. And Pharaoh gets plenty of blessing in this, you know, or, uh, or Joseph gets plenty of blessing in this. Pharaoh decides to give Joseph a wife, and Joseph's able to have a family and a place to stay and all the power and everything. And I want us to read in chapter 41, flip over to 41, and we're going to read verses 50 through 52 in chapter 41. Let me make sure I get there. Okay. 50 through 52, it says, Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. Everybody say Manasseh. Manasseh. And said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim. Everybody say Ephraim. And said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Now, I was reading through this um, in, in my Bible reading this year, and I, I came across this, and it just stuck out to me. Ephraim, because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. 
So Joseph here is recognizing that Egypt is his land of suffering. There's been nothing good other than recently being appointed in this, in this land of power. But even in that, he's not back home with his father. He's not back home with a loving family. This is his land of suffering. But he says, even in my land of suffering, God has made me fruitful. Another man, we'll, we'll get back to Joseph in a minute, but another man that um, I want us to read about is, uh, is David. And David wrote uh, the majority of the Psalms um, in, in the book of Psalms. And uh, David is a man that is also in a valley. David was appointed to be the second king of Israel. And the problem with being appointed the second king of Israel is the first king of Israel was still on the throne. And so uh, there was a time where he wasn't just instantly able to be, hey, I'm the king, right? Um, and so as a young boy, David is, is able to, to know that he's going to be anointed as the king of Israel someday. But he's very close with King Saul, the first king of Israel. And he's a part of King Saul's, you know, family in a way. King Saul's son is his best friend. Um, but the, a time comes after we've all heard the story of, of David slaying Goliath. And, and all of a sudden David gets this popularity amongst the people of being better than King Saul. And King Saul decides to start hating David decides to start resenting David, doesn't want David to be a threat to him. And so it even gets so bad to the point where Saul decides, hey, you know what, we're going to kill David. And he tries to kill David. And, and there's a time through David's life before he was eventually appointed the second king of Israel, where he was running for his life in the desert. He's running for his life. These armies from Israel are trying to kill him. And David doesn't know if he's going to survive from day to day. In my trip uh, to Israel in 2018, um, we were in the, the desert country of, of Israel. It's extremely desolate. There's nothing living there. Um, but we were able to come across this place, and I was able to see this place called En Gedi. And En Gedi is one of the places that supposedly uh, David and his camp found refuge in. Because if you looked at, at, the, at the desert you know, from, from the ground, it all looked like there was no life. But sometimes you'd find these caverns where there would be a, a spring or something, and there'd be some green grass that would grow and stuff. And so David would find those places in the rocks and hide and, and, and hope that, you know, that Saul wasn't going to find him and kill him. And so David is in a valley experience, hiding for his life. And I want us to turn to Psalm 23. It's one of my favorite uh, parts of scripture. And in Psalm 23, David writes this. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a wonderful piece of scripture that David in this valley that he's living in, running for his life, is able to pause and say, you know what? The Lord is my shepherd and I, I don't lack anything. He's got everything taken care of. It says he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And so David paints this picture of just this peace and, and this, this peaceful place, this green pasture. 
And we like peaceful places, don't we? We like when our life feels like we're in the green pasture. We enjoy being able to have a space where we can lie down and rest and and have God pour into us. But then he continues, he says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And as I've read this in the past, I've recognized, okay, there's a place with green pastures and then there's a dark valley. They're two very different places. There's contrast between them. One is peaceful. There's quiet waters. One is dark. I imagine a valley, and especially after being in Israel and seeing just, you know, there's nothing growing in this desert, you know, rocks, and it's just a very rough place to be. And I see two contrasting places. And I don't like to think about the valleys, right? I like to think about the green pastures. We don't want our peace to ever be disrupted. I was woken up. I don't know, it was a couple weeks ago, to a faint beeping. And I woke up and I recognized that one of our smoke detectors, the battery needed to be replaced and it was beeping. I don't know why that always happens at night when I'm sleeping, but it did. And I'll tell you that that was very disrupting to me because I was in a very peaceful sleep, right? We don't like to have our peace to be disrupted, but it's important for us to recognize that there's many times in life when we're going through the darkest valley. And as I've read this, And we're going to get into this book, Grace in the Valley, in a minute. But Heath Adamson writes in this book that instead of thinking of of the green pastures and and the darkest valleys as two very different places, is it possible that maybe they're the same place? And it's even in the darkest valley that God creates a space for peace. God creates a space to rest, even when he's going through the darkest valley. Because if you've ever been to a desert environment... It doesn't look like anything is growing there. And that was, that was just like in Israel where David was. There was you know, really nothing growing. But in order to create a pasture, a green pasture, it takes a shepherd to till the soil and, and plant the seed and create a green pasture for his sheep to feed on, correct? And so even in the darkest valley, God creates a place for us to find peace, to find rest, to find strength. Heath Adamson in his book, Grace in the Valley, uh, says this, and, and I, I really uh, can't say it any better, so I'm just going to read the quote from the book. It says, something happens in David's psalm when he wanders out of the green pasture and into the valley, something profound. David is able to capture, in essence, the shrinking distance between himself and God. In the first half of the psalm, when David enjoys the green pasture, he describes his relationship to God in terms of I and he. It is in the green pasture where he makes us lie down and he leads us. When the lush landscape, once covered with green, is swallowed up in the darkness, David's words turn from he to you. It's much more personal. David says, your rod and you prepare a table. You are with me. The language used to describe God no longer depicts absence but presence. And God is right there when you don't expect it and least deserve it. That's who he is. Your feelings and legitimate pain and concern are not your final resting place, but God is. There is a realm, listen to this, there is a realm of intimacy with God that is solely reserved not for the green pasture, but for the valley. And this really just speaks to me that in a time when David is going through a valley, that is where he finds the closest relationship he can with God. And maybe we're going through a valley, or if you're not going through a valley right now, you will at some point. 
maybe there's a side of God that you can't experience until you're going through that valley. There's a, there's a, a side of God, a, 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 a closeness to him that you can't experience when you're just living it up in the green pasture. But you have to be in the darkest valley, the darkest despair of your life. And it's there that you'll find no fear from evil. You'll know that God's with you, that he's comforting you. He's going to prepare a place and a table for you in the presence of your enemies. He's going to anoint your head with oil. Something that in this time, if we're reading it in context, that would have been for the guest of honor that was coming to share a meal with you. You'd have anointed them with oil. God anoints you with oil as his guest of honor. Your cup overflows. Heath, Heath Adamson, uh, who wrote this book, um, I had the opportunity to meet him in person. And, and as he was sharing with me a little bit about this book, he shared with me that uh, in his research of Psalm 23, that a lot of shepherds in, in, in that time, uh, if you came across another shepherd as you were moving your, your flocks, uh, you would sit and you'd have a meal together. And you'd sit around the fire and, and, and you would eat together. And, and if, if you had a guest with you and you filled their cup with wine or water, whatever it was, uh, if you filled it halfway, it told the guest, hey, I appreciate you stopping by. Um, you know, I, I'm glad that I was able to share this meal with you, um, but you better be on your way. You know, it's just, it just is what it is, right? If he fills your cup all the way to the top, he's saying, hey, I really enjoyed you staying here. Why don't you actually make your camp here for tonight? And when you're ready to go, you can, you can go, you know? And, uh, and so that was kind of this, this cultural thing that happened. But he anoints our head with oil and our cup overflows, Jesus doesn't just want us to be on our way or doesn't want us to just stay for the night. He wants us to abide in him in the darkest valleys. Amen. So back to Joseph. Joseph's family eventually reunites. The, the famine hits and uh, thankfully Joseph was able to save enough food. So, you know, the Egyptians are taken care of, but it was also the surrounding areas. And so Joseph's family ends up needing food. And they, they need to, to barter with Egypt. That's the only country that has food. And in doing that, Joseph reunites with his family, reunites with his father. Uh, it's a wonderful moment. I encourage you to go and read it in Genesis. Um, but then uh, Jacob and all the brothers end up settling in Egypt. And Joseph is able to be there uh, with them. And they, they rekindle you know, good relationships. And eventually it comes to a point where Jacob, Joseph's father, passes away. And in this moment, Jake, uh, Joseph's brothers say, oh man, now that dad's gone, Joseph's really going to get his revenge. Because remember, we, don't forget, we sold him into slavery. We wanted to kill him. You know, we didn't like him. And, and, and maybe Joseph has just been being nice to us because dad's been around. But now that dad's not around, Joseph, he's surely going to get his revenge. And I want us to go to Genesis chapter 50. And I, I'll uh, have our worship team come back up as we read this. Genesis chapter 50, and I'm going to read verse 20. The brothers are, are deciding, you know, what should we do if Joseph decides that he wants to kill us or wants to make life terrible for us, whatever it is. And Joseph decides to say to them, he says, hey, don't be afraid. And he says this in verse 20. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph takes this moment and says, hey, look, even in, in Egypt, through all my life, through all the despair, through all that valley, God still blessed me. It was all a part of God's plan. What you guys intended to harm me, God used it for good. 
He said, with the valley intended to just wear me down and, and destroy me, God used that relationship with me in the valley to make me fruitful, to make, to make me love, to make me cherish, to make me whole. And, and Joseph says, hey, he's saying, he's saying to us today, what, what that valley intends to do to harm us, God is going to use for good. And if you're going through a valley today in your life, what the enemy intends to use for harm, God can use for good. And it's up to us if we're going to draw close to God in this moment or if we're going to push him away. And we're going to do what the enemy would like us to do, create separation between us and God. But that's only going to harm us. God has a good plan for us in the valley. There is a closeness to God that's reserved for us that are in a valley right now. What we're going to do is... Uh, we opened up the altars earlier. We're going to open them up again. And if you're in a valley and, and, and you want someone to pray for you, we're going to have pastors and elders down here that can pray for you. If you don't want to be prayed for, you don't want to tell anybody what you're going through, that's fine. Come forward and kneel at the altar. Just recognize right now that even in the darkest valley, God is waiting to show us a side of him that you've never experienced before. God is waiting to show you a powerfulness in him that you've never experienced before. And you need to be going through the valley you're going through in order to experience that. And so even if you're watching online, if you have something that we can be praying with you about, I encourage you to comment that right now because we are gonna be here to say, hey, some of us are in mountaintop experiences right now. Some of us are in valleys, but God is going to intend all of it for good for those that draw close to him. So as our worship team leads us in this next song, if, if you just want to come forward and receive prayer, just say, hey, I'm in a valley, or you just want to come forward and be in the presence of God, I encourage you to do that. And then we'll wrap up here. But, but let's, let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you are so good, even when we don't deserve it, even when we don't know it, God, we know right now what the scripture tells us. And it's that you are good. You have a plan for us. You are with us. You are for us. You are not against us. And God, I pray that for all of us right now that may be going through a valley season in our life, we may be wondering, God, where are you? God, there were many moments in David's life and in Joseph's life where, we, where they were able just to, to say, God, where in the world are you right now? But Lord, you made them fruitful in the land of their suffering. God, will you show us that you'll make us fruitful in our land of suffering, in our darkest valley that we may be going through right now, Lord. Be with us in Jesus' name, amen.